It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of the Beatitudes. Last week, we deviated just a bit while you entertained hearing my testimony. It was just a little brief snapshot of what God has done as of late. I just couldn't help myself. Dr. Ford entertained it, allowed me to just share with you from the heart of what God has been doing in and through my own journey as of late, and I hope you were encouraged by that. Today, we are getting back on track with our study of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's taken us now into the Beatitudes. So we're studying from Matthew chapter 5, specifically verse 3 here today, as we look at what it means to be poor in spirit. So to help me do that, as always, here in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford is back. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, John. It's always good to be back. And I would just encourage any of our listeners who did not hear the last episode, your personal testimony, I thought was absolutely amazing. I would definitely go ahead and uh, get online, get on the website, tap into that and listen to that because you will be blessed by that. That's right. Yeah, calvaryfountain.com. There you'll find it and more. Share it with your friends and family alike. Get the word out of the whole series. And if the testimony was a a tool for encouragement, and perhaps as you share the gospel message and hearing how God has worked in and through our family situation, maybe that's a tool you can use in your efforts to fulfill the Great Commission. After all, that's what we're here for, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Amen. So, Dr. Ford, we're back in this rather lengthy subject. It shouldn't take too long as we hopefully wrap it up today. Day, but it's one that really we're going to spend a lot of time over and over as believers going back and studying because there's really no way in 20 minutes or less that we can try to encapsulate, try to cover all of these details yeah. of, of what it means to truly be poor in spirit. But let's kick off with Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Here's what we read. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this verse, we need to understand right away, this is not about money, okay? That's an easy one for us to really defer to and just default to in in our discussions is somehow this is about our financial state, that if you have money, that somehow that's a burden or an obstacle in some way to what he's addressing here. He's talking about being poor in spirit. And what we find scripturally in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, is that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even Jesus, as he continued to teach on this, said in John chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So what we're talking about here is poverty of spirit, not because one is is financially able or they don't have financial means. This is not about that state. This is about total depravity by way of your spiritual status or position before God. You bring nothing that can save you. You were in total need of a Savior. Luke's gospel says poor. He said, blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. So we have to understand here, he, we, we read in Matthew, he adds the words in spirit 
to give some clarity of the matter that we're talking about spiritual bankruptcy. Mind you, the culture at large was saturated with the exteriors, right? They had already taken 613 ordinances of the law, now added over a thousand new regulations by way of the Talmud and the Mishnah. And this become a this became a series of externals. Do this, don't do that. All of these matters outwardly, or so the appearance of religiosity or piety, or somewhat even that person is more righteous than the other. And what we find here is the Lord is taking it right to a heart condition. You cannot come to me with a sense of entitlement. Just because you're the seed of Abraham or just because you've kept the works of the law, you still need a savior. You bring nothing to the equation to save yourself, and therefore you need all of me and none of yourself. You belong (laughs) wholly to me. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, we read, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth be stopped that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, we're talking about total depravity here, right? That everyone is flat broke. There is none righteous. No, not one. In fact, in Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You could keep all of the 613. You broke one, you've broken them all. You are now found to be guilty, right? You're not perfect. There was only one who was perfect. And so the great equalizer now is that we're all at the foot of the cross, no matter what our pedigree. We can come from a family of believers. We can think ourselves that we have somehow uh, already achieved something. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I became a Christian at a young age, baptized at an early age. So, so therefore, I, I'm, I'm already uh, spiritually further along than someone else, as if somehow there's a grade of right. our achievements. <laughs> Although we do want to applaud spiritual maturation sure. for all believers, no matter what stage of life they are in, no, no matter how long they have faithfully served the Lord, we are all humbled at the foot of the cross. We are all equal before the Lord, belonging to him as bondservants of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so what you're saying is God does not grade on a curve. So <laughs> <laughs> right. the, the standard right. by which we're judged is not the guy next to us. It's not our neighbor. It's not our friend, but it's Jesus Christ. So you know, yeah, unless yeah. you've kept every right. aspect of the law and been perfect like Jesus, like, oh, we better turn to more of the poor in spirit aspect and recognize our need for a savior. That's right. It, it would be like, I just thought of this and uh, forgive if the illustration doesn't quite land, but I was thinking about it as you're talking, Dr. Ford, that it's almost like going back to the Exodus, where the doorposts were covered by the blood of the Lamb. Right, that's right. Now, now, what if all those doorposts were put together and the doorposts started to compare themselves to the other doorposts? <laughs> At the end of the day, without the blood of the Lamb right. on that doorpost, no one inside there was going to be saved that's without right. the blood of the Lamb, Amen. right? It didn't matter if one doorpost was more ornate yeah. than another, right? It, it didn't blood. matter if one was splintered and falling apart and the other was all dressed up yeah. and, and looked very inviting. They were equalized because the only thing that delivered was the blood of the lamb on those doorposts, right. the obedience to God's instruction to carry them through and deliver them ultimately. And I think that's what we tend yeah. to do as Christians without saying it. Perhaps it's just simply that we, we just have grown up in that and we just think, well, again, because I've been raised in the church and this person's a new believer, that I'm closer to God than this person. And we do have this hierarchy and a litmus test and all these sort of things that we put out there and don't really call them that, but I think we judge. 
Sure. And, and we're very good at judging others. Poor at coming to conclusions, but we, we find ourselves as judge, jury, and executioner quite a bit. And what this does is equalizes all. This is total depravity, total desperation for Jesus Christ. Let's give you some examples here uh, of what the Bible reveals to us about individuals who thought themselves coming to the table with something, as if they're in negotiation and have any position at all, and finding themselves needed to be completely stripped of self totally barren, empty, I need all of God, none of me kind of situations. One of which uh, comes to mind is 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 19. Jesus refers to this situation actually in Luke 4, 27, when he says, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now, when you go back to what occurred there, what we find is that here is a man who was desperate for healing, all right? He has a high position of authority in the military there in Syria, and he is desperate. He has leprosy, and he knows that there's, a, there's some healing or there's a prophet in Israel that he needs to, to see and that Elisha could heal him. Elisha then sends his servant to, to be dispatched here to go to this man to give him instruction. He tells him, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now, uh, you know, the interesting thing about this particular Jordan River uh, was that it wasn't the cleanest of rivers, at least by way of appearance, right? As it starts up by the Sea of Galilee, it might be a bit cleaner up there right. as it makes its way down toward the Dead Sea. It seems very polluted, right? It's just all dirty and murky. And, and this is why Naaman responds with anger. He becomes furious, according to the text. And he went away and, and he mocks this river and he, he, you know, comparing it to the rivers of Damascus, even, and, and thinks that this is a mock, mockery of him. This is insulting to him in some way. You want me to go bathe in that seven times? I'm not going to do it, is basically the paraphrased version of that. And some of his servants say to him, my father, if the prophet has told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So it's interesting because when all of this is said and done, he finally swallows his pride, humbles himself, goes and bathes seven times in this murky water, and out he comes cleansed, right? And, it, and when it's all said and done, he, he then says, he asks Elisha if he can take two mule loads of earth back with him. He's, he's not only so humbled before God, he now recognizes that this is the true God of heaven and earth. The very ground I was standing upon is holy ground, and I want to take Israel with me back to my own country because he's been so humbled before God in this situation. Yeah, there is something interesting about human nature with that, because I think even today, uh, some people who would even consider themselves sinners, if you were to, and they just recognize their own sin, they recognize their own failings, but if you were to tell them, well, all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's like, well, no, I can't accept that. Mm -hmm. After all I've done, surely I have to do something more substantial than just accept Christ and believe. I just I just can't believe that that's even possible. That's right. And, yeah. and you know, we've been talking about that in, in our study of James uh, at Calvary Fellowship Church. We've actually been going through the book of James to begin 2023, awesome. and in that, 
we have examined the two very controversial texts of faith without works is dead and right. being doers of the word, and seeing that in light of Paul's teachings as well. And now, mind you, he was a, a pen, an instrument of God. This is all God's teachings. And what we find is that Paul was really calling our attention to the fact that in a works-based society, he was showing them that you are only saved by grace. Right. But James was then showing that because you're changed, you're washed, you're renewed, now anything good that comes out of you is because you're saved, not because of your efforts to attain salvation through your works, but that a transformed life is going to change the environment around it. It has no choice but to do that because you're going to talk differently. You're going to spend money differently. You're going to be different. (laughs) That's inevitable. In fact, if you're the sanctuary, the temple of the Holy Spirit on two legs, of course, then the Holy Spirit is going to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Yeah, Jesus made it very clear that by your fruit, you will know them. And so right. when we accept, you know, that Christ is our Savior and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, our fruit changes and it's evident to other people and it's evident to ourselves. That's right. It's been easily said, I think, and it's a great image, is that Paul would talk about the fire in the fireplace and James is examining the smoke out of the chimney. Right. Right. One wants to see, is there really a fire there at all? And Mm -hmm. if there's a fire burning there, there's going to be smoke out of the chimney. It's going to be noticeable (laughs) to all. Everybody's going to see this. Right. Uh, So so the two go hand in glove. They're Mm -hmm. not in contrast to one another. You You know, faith that justifies indicates to us that it's never alone. Right, that that this work that comes out of us now is because you're so changed. Yeah, it's going to inevitably be like the ripple in a pond. The cascading effect is immeasurable for the actions of of an obedient servant. And and quite frankly, if we do what Christ instructs here, what he what he told everybody to do here in Matthew chapter five to seven, Christ's instructions are quite clear. These are not suggestions. Right, right. If we actually did this. It would have ramifications that would change generations to come. Amen. I mean, I mean, this is you know Psalm seventy-eight instruction that generations not yet born would be impacted by the obedience of a servant. And the Lord Jesus even said, "If you want to be my friends, do as I have commanded yeah. you to do." Right. So it's one thing to be saved; it's another now to either sit on that. Or to put it to action, right? To, to say, I am a changed vessel world. I'm going to do as the Lord has instructed me to do. And now I'm a messenger of truth. Yeah. Here I am. <laughs> now you make a great point. You know, we're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and Jesus said, well, how do you show your love for God? You follow his teachings. Yeah, follow amen. my teachings. Be my disciple. That's how you show you love God. Well, there's another example. Now, one of many, we've already talked about Naaman. Now let's talk about the Pharisee and the tax collector. <laughs> Great example <laughs> of spiritual depravity, right? It, it demonstrates that I am spiritually poor. I have nothing to bring to my Lord, and, he, and this is the vessel that he can fill up. It's, it's very, the very image that we see in First and Second Kings with empty vessels that were being filled up with the oil and, and pouring out continuously, right. this is being empty of self and filled up now with the truth, the, the word of God, the, the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in us, operating in and through us. Listen to these powerful words. It's a powerful image here that the Lord gives us in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. He says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others, two men 
went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah. What a powerful story there. I mean, the, you know, I say to you, the tax collector here was spiritually broken. Yeah, he was poor in spirit. Yeah. Yep, truly poor in spirit. He was blessed because he went away justified. He knew that he deserved nothing of God, and yet he receives the fullness of mercy. And yes, we believe salvation, right? right. That this is the greatest gift of all. How about the thief on the cross? Oh, another great image there. We read about him in Luke chapter 23. Verses 39 to 43, here's what it says to us. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Yeah. It's really a great contrast of humility versus entitlement. I think it isn't, uh, and I think you would have a greater understanding of this than I do, but isn't the, the term thief a little bit of a misnomer, a little bit maybe of a misunderstanding in the sense this guy's not a pickpocket. Right. You know, this guy's a violent criminal. That's right. You know, otherwise, they wouldn't, wouldn't be crucifying him. Exactly. Yeah. They would have uh, the the crimes uh, obviously dictated certain punishments right. if caught and, and tried. Whatever the Roman trial process would have in, entailed in that, and and we'd have to say that in most cases they probably would have been accurate in, in how they handled circum these these situations sure. and circumstances. In this case, this wouldn't have just they wouldn't have been crucifying him publicly along a very public road like right. that right. had it been simply that he was just a pickpocket, right? right? This is possibly even somebody of the the zealots, an right. overthrower of Rome, somebody who violently hurt other people. There's all sorts of aspects to this that are often debated. Uh, but yes, this is a man who, for all intents and purposes, appeared to have wasted his life yeah. in criminal activity. And here he's in the process of being executed and acknowledges the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He does exactly what Romans 10.9 tells us to do. Right. That if we confess and believe in our hearts that, that, that God is... Well, I mean, obviously he hadn't raised him from the dead yet at that particular time, but right. this confession is certainly there. Acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is, this humility before him, and certainly an appeal and repentance. You could see all of that there in his heart, to yeah. which the Lord knows his heart in this, right. even by way of what was spoken publicly, yeah. and he will be with him yeah, in Yeah, he paradise. was poor in spirit at, That's this, right. at this particular time. You know, other scriptures that come to mind when he talks about being blessed are the poor in spirit. He then talks about uh, John the Baptist, for example. That came to mind of, of no one being greater who was born among women right. in Matthew chapter 11. 11 to 12, and then you'd have to ask, well, what made him so great was the fact that he was so humbled 
before men in his attire and how he carried himself, even what he ate. There was nothing about self-aggrandizement here. He was not trying to climb any type of ladder, even within Christendom. It was all about God in and through him. Of course, he has the spirit of the prophet in him, and and some you know, have talked about that spirit of Elijah that uh, was with him there. But you see such a humility on display that, that makes him unlike any other, even of the Old Testament prophets, right, that the Lord commended so greatly here. And then many say, well, it's because he didn't have money. It's like, no, no, no. Mm. It's about, look at his being totally poor in spirit. He It was all about Jesus, yeah. and that was evident. Yeah. It was all about paving the way right. in prophetic uh, uh, you know, revelation and fulfillment. Yeah. Right? Behold the Lamb of God, you That's know? right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think about, uh, you know, the fact that Jesus had to call out so often these Pharisees. Well, John the Baptist did that too. I know. And, and try yeah. to remind them of the fact that they thought themselves so entitled. He even called them out in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. We also see that reflected in Matthew eleven sixteen to 17, where they thought because they were of Abraham that they had, uh, you know, all the security they needed. And, and he was telling them that they, their repentance, repentance was the only way uh, that they, they seemed to think that they were needing to take heaven by force in this. It is ours. Right. We, we're entitled to this. And I don't know that too many Christians have that kind of attitude or unbelievers, but certainly we can come into the equation not being really emptied of self and just fully expecting uh, a lot of uh, misunderstandings when it comes to the gospel. I think we have to be absolutely clear with people that you have to be prepared to lose all yeah. for the cause of Christ. I don't, I don't know that we do that quite well enough in the Western culture, especially. Yeah, there, there can be that tendency to uh, to want to make our work so good that somehow we, we put God in a position where we feel like now he owes us something because of the good works of the things that we've done for him and that sort of thing, you know, totally the opposite of what we're talking about here. That's right. In fact, uh, you know, Paul said it so well uh, when we talk about the reality of following Christ that so often people think of it being a sort of a, a gain in this world, that I'll become somewhat prosperous. I will have a position of prominence and, and respect and maybe some wealth that I mentioned already in that equation that somehow will live, live more healthily and, and wealthily. And if I did those even words, I just made those up perhaps. But I think that that's the misnomer, that we just think that this, I've accepted Jesus, now all my problems go away. Uh, the challenges are far from me now. I, I, you know, it's all wonderful rainbows and butterflies from here and which paul had to remind young timothy in first timothy 6 6 to 10 now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and clothing with these we shall be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows again this is about being emptied of self yeah. i need all of jesus here I can't bring anything into this equation. I can't go to a, enough seminary classes to be found worthy, right? Those are just things that I do because I so desperately want to please him who is my master, him who right. I serve, that I want him to be pleased. I, I want to be called a friend right. of Jesus, <laughs> right? That should be the most important thing that we aspire to each and every day, that we desire Jesus's 
good pleasure Amen. that he's pleased with his servants because ultimately if, if we're basking in immorality and you're wanting the fullness of a relationship with christ how foolish of us those things do not intermix it's all of jesus he said take the narrow way and he meant it yeah no i agree completely i think really everything that we do should be seen as an act of worship no matter what we're doing even our jobs those they're, they're sort of their their tools they're not the mission the mission is is to serve our lord and savior jesus christ and build his kingdom these are things that we do those are tools that we use to worship him mm-hmm. but they're not the the end in, in and of themselves that's right well, the man who truly seeks after God sees himself in truth, right? I mean, that, that's really the bottom line here. If we pursue the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, there will be a big mirror right into our soul. Mm. What do we really pursue in this world? Is it truly all of Jesus and none of me? Do I really want his good pleasure and his kingdom come, his will to be done, not mine? Yeah. And this is a, a very difficult section that will take a lifetime to truly process through as the refiner puts us into his own fire that removes all those impurities from us. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth, for your faithfulness as you listen each and every week. We certainly would encourage you to, to reach out to us. Let us know how this message has impacted you today, and, and hopefully we're an encouragement to you as you are an encouragement to us. To learn more, visit calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, and we're so delighted for those who have sponsored the program on and off, one of which we want to thank Miss Debbie Bowles. She's over at Loan Depot. If you're looking for a loan, and maybe you're wanting to refinance your home today, especially with these difficult times that we're in, she can help you out. You can reach her at 719-231-8500, or you can apply online at debbiebowles.com. Again, that's D-E-B-B-I-E. B-O-A-L-S, DebbieBowles.com, N-M-L-S, 35092. We want to thank Debbie. We want to thank all of you. And we ask that God would bless you this week. Take care.